Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the third quarter 2008 Hewlett-Packard Earnings Conference Call. My name is Nikita, and it will be my pleasure to assist you today. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. We will be facilitating a question-and-answer session towards the end of today's conference, at which time you may press star 1 to participate. If at any time during the call you need assistance, please key star 0, and a coordinator will be happy to assist you. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded for replay purposes. I would now like to introduce your host for today's call, Mr. Jim Burns, Vice President of Investor Relations. Please proceed, sir. Thanks, Nikita. So good afternoon, and welcome to our third quarter earnings conference call with Chairman and CEO Mark Hurd and CFO Kathy Lesjack. This call is being webcast live. A replay of the webcast will be available shortly after the call for approximately one year. Some information provided during this call may include forward-looking statements that are based on certain assumptions and are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties, and actual future results may vary materially. Please refer to the risks described in HP's SEC reports, including our Form 10-Q for the fiscal quarter ended April 30, 2008. The financial information discussed in connection with this call, including tax-related items, reflects estimates based on information available at this time and could differ materially from the amount ultimately reported in HP's Form 10-Q for the fiscal quarter ended July 31, 2008. Earnings, operating margins, and similar items at the company level are sometimes expressed on a non-GAAP basis and have been adjusted to exclude certain items, including amortization of purchase intangibles and restructuring charges. The comparable GAAP financial information and a reconciliation of non-GAAP amounts to GAAP are included in the tables and in the third quarter earnings slide presentation accompanying today's earnings release, both of which are available on the HP Investor Relations webpage at hp.com. Before I hand the call over to Mark, I wanted to make a few comments regarding the pending acquisition of EDS. We anticipate that the acquisition of EDS will close later this month. Under this assumption, HP plans to hold a securities analyst meeting on September 15th, where Mark Hurd, Kathy Lesjack, and other executives from TSG and EDS will discuss HP's opportunities in the enterprise market, including the actions we will take and the expected financial impact to HP of the EDS acquisition in Q4 and upcoming periods. The meeting will be webcast live and available on the HP Investor Relations webpage at hp.com. I'll now turn the call over to Mark with a final reminder to please refrain from asking multi-part questions or clarifications during the Q&A. Well, good afternoon and thank you for joining us. Hewlett Packard delivered another strong quarter. These results further demonstrate the benefits of our global reach, diverse customer base, and broad portfolio products and services. In addition, as I have said many times before, our numerous cost initiatives continue to provide us with the opportunity to invest for long-term market leadership while also generating near-term operating leverage. HP is unique in the variety of IT customers it serves. In emerging markets, new customers are coming online every day to create, view, and print content and are helping enterprises scale and modernize their infrastructure to process and to store this data. In developed markets, CIOs are investing to cope with the explosive growth in digital content and seeking projects which improve their cost structures, such as virtualization, data center automation, and outsourcing. Companies are reexamining their IT needs and increasingly moving toward open systems and standards-based technologies. We believe that we are well-positioned to capitalize on these trends, as reflected in our strong results this quarter. Our cost savings programs allow us to invest in strategic areas such as Salesforce hiring, software, and graphic arts while expanding our margins at the same time. As I mentioned to you last quarter, while we've become more efficient, our cost initiatives are significant and ongoing, and we expect them to create additional leverage in our operating model. In fact, we expect that our overhead costs 
which includes IT, real estate, and corporate support functions, will decline more in dollars year over year in 2009 than they have in either 2008 or 2007. Now, while we primarily want to focus this call on our quarterly results and fourth quarter outlook, let me comment briefly on EDS. The planning is going well, and we are confident in the benefits of this business combination will bring to customers, partners, and to shareholders. We have over 500 HP and EDS people dedicated full-time to the integration team. The feedback from the vast majority of the customers that I talk to continues to be extremely positive as they contemplate the power of HP's innovation coupled with EDS's scaled services business. I look forward to sharing more details with you at our September 15th meeting. In summary, I am very pleased with our results. As is true with every quarter, some numbers are strong and others indicate where we have more work to do. In the end, our diverse business model, disciplined execution, and significant cost-saving opportunities have enabled us to consistently produce strong business performance. With that, I'll turn it over to Kathy, who will review the numbers for the quarter. Thanks, Mark, and good afternoon, everyone. Revenue for the third quarter totaled $28 billion, up 10% year-over-year, or up 5% in constant currency. Looking at revenue by geography, the Americas increased 4%, EMEA was up 16%, and Asia-Pacific increased 14%. We generated 68% of our total revenue from outside of the United States. Third quarter gross margin was 24.2%, down 30 basis points compared to a year ago. This decrease in gross margin was driven by both a more normalized commodity pricing environment and increased mix of personal systems, which were partially offset by strength in services and software. Non-GAAP operating expenses for the quarter were $4 billion, or 14.4% of revenue, down 110 basis points, from 15.5% a year ago. Adjusting for currency, total expenses declined year over year as we continue to maintain expense discipline, even while investing in sales and go-to-market resources and absorbing acquisitions. Non-GAAP operating profit increased 20% to $2.7 billion, or 9.8% of revenue. Non-GAAP OINE yielded income of $23 million in the third quarter, our non-GAAP tax rate was 21% in Q3. Non-GAAP EPS was $0.86, cents, representing a 21% increase from the prior year quarter. GAAP EPS was also 20, up 21% to $0.80, cents, which included $161 million, or $0.06 cents per share, in after-tax adjustments primarily related to the amortization of purchase intangibles that were excluded from our non-GAAP results. Looking at the performance by business segment, personal systems continued to post solid results, maintaining the number one worldwide market share position in calendar Q2. With revenue growing 15%, or $1.4 billion, to $10.3 billion. Total unit shipments increased 20%, with strong growth of 37% in notebooks. DSG maintained balanced growth across its businesses, with consumer client revenue up 17% and commercial client revenue up 15%. We outgrew the market for the 12th consecutive quarter. Growing in emerging markets continues, highlighted by triple-digit growth in Russia. Developed economies posted solid results, including renewed growth in the United States. We are excited about our strong fall lineup with innovative products such as our second-generation TouchSmart PC 
and the HP Mini Note. TSG's operating profit for the quarter was $587 million, or 5.7% of revenue, down 10 basis points versus the prior year, reflecting a more normalized commodity pricing environment. I am pleased with the continued execution within PSG. In imaging and printing, we expect to gain share in calendar Q2, despite a tough market. For the quarter, revenue was up 3% to $7 billion, led by supplies growth of 11%. Commercial hardware revenue declined 5% year-on-year, and the consumer hardware revenue declined 14%. Excluding cameras, consumer hardware revenue declined 8%. Segment operating profit increased 50 basis points from the prior year to 15%, as strong supplies growth and cost actions were partially offset by discounting. We shipped 13 million printers in the third quarter, a decrease of 2% year-on-year. Consumer printer hardware units were flat, and commercial printer hardware units were down 9% year-on-year. In the commercial business, we are seeing strong customer adoption of our Indigo Press products. High-volume digital color printing is an increasing source of growth for the global graphic arts industry, and we are well-positioned to lead in this market. In May, we participated in the Drupa Industry Trade Show, where orders on the floor exceeded our high expectations. Highlights included the sale of over 30 HP Indigo presses to a leading commercial print company to meet the growing demand for photo books and digitally printed direct marketing materials. Within IPG, we are focused on reducing our costs with ongoing initiatives to improve supply chain efficiency and lower product costs. We are investing these savings in targeted growth areas, including the enterprise and graphic arts. We will continue to be prudent in our pursuit of lower-end units and will balance growth and profitability to drive long-term results. Moving on to Technology Solutions Group. Enterprise storage and servers revenue was $4.7 billion, up 5% year-over-year, led by strong ESS blade revenue growth of 66%. Enterprise storage and service posted solid third-quarter operating profit of $544 million, or 11.5% of revenue, up 30 basis points year-on-year. Within ESS, storage revenue growth accelerated to 16%, driven by 19% growth in both our MSA and EVA SAN products. Over the last few quarters, we have launched new products across the portfolio and enhanced our go-to-market model both of which are helping to improve our storage results. Turning to our server businesses, business critical systems revenue grew 2%, with integrity revenue increasing 18%. In industry standard servers, we executed better this quarter than last, with revenue up 2% year-on-year and units up 13%. Customers are increasingly implementing HP's Blade systems to expand their IT infrastructure and this quarter, we shipped our millionth blade. HP Services had a strong quarter with revenue growth of 14% over the prior year period. We saw top-line strength in every business, with technology services and consulting and integration revenue up 13% year-over-year and outsourcing revenue up 18%. Within technology services, we are seeing better penetration rates as we attach more maintenance services to our hardware sales. In our outsourcing business, we are winning competitive bids in a number of industries, including a large contract with a global telco provider. 
In our consulting business, we have seen solid growth in the public sector. Operating profit for the quarter was $574 million, or 12.1% of revenue, up 2.1 percentage points year over year. The contribution of strong revenue performance from technology services, combined with the progress we are making to improve our delivery processes, drove the expanded operating margins. HP Software delivered another good quarter with revenue of $781 million, up 29% from the prior year. VTO maintained its momentum with 32% year-over-year growth as large enterprise customers increasingly adopt our software management solutions to help maximize the value of their IT infrastructure. This success is reflected in a 39% year-over-year growth in large deals. Other software, which includes OpenCall, Business Intelligence, and Information Management grew 17% due to the strength of the information management business. Software reported operating profit of $122 million, or 15.6% of revenue, up from $51 million in the prior year. Strong operating performance within BTO was partially offset by integration costs and investments in business intelligence. HP Financial Services had revenue of $680 million, up 17% year-over-year, and generated operating margin of 7.5%. We are encouraged with the growth in our core financing volume and portfolio assets over the last several quarters, as well as the performance in end-of-lease renewals and equipment sales. Moving now to the balance sheet. HP-owned inventory ended Q3 at 35 days of supply, down three days compared with a year ago. With regards to channel inventory, we ended the quarter with ESS, TSG, and IPG each flat year over year. Day sales outstanding increased to 44 days in Q3 from 42 days one year ago. Days payable was 59 days, up five days year over year. Next, property, plant, and equipment was up $492 million year over year and down 40 basis points as a percentage of revenue. Gross CapEx was $651 million, down 13% from the prior year period. On a net basis, CapEx was $573 million, up 5% year over year. Increased capital expenditures were primarily related to growth in our leasing and outsourcing businesses. On to our cash flow and cash balance. Cash flow from operations was $3.4 billion for the quarter, and free cash flow was $2.8 billion. We are well ahead of our cash flow goals for the year, with year-to-date free cash flow of $9.6 billion, up 125%. During the quarter, we spent $1.6 billion on share repurchases, representing approximately 34 million shares. At the end of the quarter, we had roughly $3 billion remaining in the current share repurchase authorization. Finally, we paid our normal quarterly dividends, totaling $197 million. We ended the quarter with a strong balance sheet, including total gross cash of $14.9 billion and net cash of $4.8 billion. Now looking ahead to our outlook for the fourth quarter. We expect to close the EDS acquisition by the end of the month, and this will result in a substantial cash usage for Q4. As we announced earlier in the call, with this timing, we will hold a security analyst meeting on September 15th and will discuss the financial impact to HP of the EDS acquisition at that time. 
With that in mind, I'll focus my comments today on the outlook for the company, excluding the impacts of the EDS acquisition. Given our significant international exposure, our results may be favorably or unfavorably impacted by currency. As we've seen in the last few weeks, in particular, currency rates can at times be volatile. For Q4, we expect revenue of approximately 30.2 to $30.3 billion. This outlook is based on currency rates from the beginning of August. If the dollar stays at current levels, we may experience some downward pressure on revenue, but would still expect a comparable constant currency growth rate. Regarding earnings, there are a few variables to keep in mind. We expected the component pricing environment to be similar to Q3 and more aligned with normal historical patterns. In addition, we estimate non-GAAP OINE to be approximately zero due to lower interest income and higher costs of currency hedging. Finally, we expect to continue to repurchase shares in the coming quarters with a modest decline in weighted average shares outstanding in the fourth quarter. With all that in mind, we expect Q408 non-GAAP EPS in the range of $1.01 to $1.03. We are focused on those elements that we can control and have a lot of confidence in our ability to execute and deliver these bottom line results. We will now open the call up for your questions. Ladies and gentlemen, if you wish to ask a question, press star 1. If you would like to withdraw from the queue, press star 2. Questions will be taken in the order received. Press star 1 to begin and please stand by for your first question. Our first question comes from the line of Bill Shope with Credit Suisse. Please proceed. Okay, great. Thanks. Uh, can you guys comment on what you're seeing with uh, ASPs and IPG? Is this really all pricing related or is there a mixed shift component as well? Uh, ASPs and IPG were pretty pretty stable uh, sequentially, so we didn't see a lot of a lot of change in ASPs during the quarter. On a year-on-year basis, I mean, are you seeing is this is this more mixed shift? Is a is 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 it is it pricing? And that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, no. So so it depends on Bill. It's a little bit depends a little bit on what segment you're talking about because there's a difference in some of the low end categories versus some of the high end categories. Difference in MFPs versus single function. You know all that kind of stuff that you know so well. So, I mean, at the end of the day, though, on average, if you take everything, when you look at ASPs, over the last rolling eight quarters, there has been not, there has not been a dramatic ASP change. Just not to ask too many questions here, but just to make sure I'm not misunderstanding, I thought I had heard on the commentary that some of the supplies upside was countered by discounting. Was that not discounting on hardware then? No, that, that we did see some discounting on hardware on a year-on-year basis. The ARUs were down about 10%, um, and that's definitely offsetting the mix of supplies. I see. Okay. Thanks for the clarification. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Richard Gardner with Citigroup. Please proceed. Um, thanks very much. Um, Kathy and Mark, I was just hoping that you could talk about the, the supply strength uh, the acceleration that you saw in year-over-year supplies growth, uh, dis- despite the fact that uh, unit shipments of hardware were relatively weak in the quarter, um, could you talk about how much of that is coming from your focus on on placements? How much is coming from traction that you might be might be realizing with uh, with, with some of the new products in the portfolio, like EdgeLine? How much is coming from kiosks and so forth? Just um, in- any more color you can provide would be great. I know you've been talking about a decoupling between printer unit growth and, and supplies growth. Right. Um, this quarter seems like it's a pretty good example of that, but would love to get more color. Yeah. 
I'll start. I mean, it, it, again, to your point, Rich, I mean, is, is right on. It has a lot more to do with the kind of units we place than, than how many units we place. So, you know, graphics, uh, of course, is a strong story for us in growth. It's also a strong growth in supplies for us. And obviously, we're interested in continuing to grow that segment because of the contribution uh, it can make to the overall supplies story. So, um, that's really, you know, what we're trying to do. And in some reasons, that's why when you see our unit growth, uh, remember our negative two unit growth is, is affected also by our movement in appliances. So that, that takes a point of unit growth away. And the rest of it is us trying to be particular about what units we really try to place in what segments that will have a strong connect rate on the supply side. And in terms of uh, supplies growth, we still see long-term sustainable growth is going to be in the mid to high single digits. So in any particular quarter, we may be higher than that or lower than that. If you turn to this particular quarter, there are a couple of things going on in the 11% that I think uh, um, we should point out. The first one is that we have more currency impact this quarter in supplies than we typically do because we did not drop prices on supplies in Europe given some of the cost pressures we're seeing in supplies cost of sales. Um, and we also had a bit of a uh, sell-in from the channel as the channel stocked ahead of the price increase that we announced um, in Q3 but will be effective in Q4. So there are some additional uh, um, bumps to growth as a result of that. So I wouldn't change, I think to Kathy's point, Rich, we think our model for supplies is the same model we've told you all along. And, and so while you'll see some volatility here or there, in the quarter, we had um, pressure on costs. And that price increase that's going through now uh, was not reflected in the quarter. So, you know, you saw some of that sellout as, uh, as it related to that. But again, remember for us, the long-term model is roughly the model we've told you all along. That's the way I'd be thinking about it, Rich. Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks. Our next question comes from the line of Kathy Hubbardy with Morgan Stanley. Please proceed. Good afternoon. Thanks. In light of continued execution, especially on cash flow, why not repurchase more shares in the quarter? So we have uh, obviously a big cash outflow coming up in Q4 as we when we'll close the EDS acquisition. And so that's really what's modulating our, or moderating, sorry, our uh, share repurchases. So is 1.5 to 2 billion the right right range to think about over the next couple of quarters? Mm. Well, well, again, we're, we're probably not going to give you a number, Katie. I think I think that we're going to be um, active in our shares um, to the point that makes sense. Obviously, you know, it's, I'm sure I'm sure this is referencing to our cash flow, and and you know, we had very strong cash flow from operations. We've you know, for the year, generated more cash flow from operations in the first three quarters than roughly we did for the entire 2007 year. So we do have choice points, and we are going to be active in our shares. Um, so there's there's no doubt about that. Okay, thanks. Congrats on the quarter. Hey, thanks, Katie. I appreciate it. Our next question comes from the line of Ben Rutz of Lehman Brothers. Please proceed. Yeah, good afternoon. Thank you. Um, Mark, you reaccelerated in the U.S. Obviously, um, that had previously been a, a concern voiced by some, and you, you reaccelerated there. Can you talk about what happened, and and also in light of Kathy's comments, that you had a lot of confidence you can hit your guidance. Um, you know, even though currency, um, you know, may fluctuate. Could you just talk about where the U.S. 
sits in that, and, and obviously you were able to maintain even raise guidance um, despite some concerns. So, so maybe where the U.S. plays in that going into the next quarter as well. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Yeah, I mean, as always, I, I, I see there's all kinds of concerns about various different things. But, I mean, at the end of the day, for us, the big deal is to execute. And, you know, we feel very good about our position in many markets. And when you look at the enterprise in the U.S. Are from a storage perspective, from a software perspective, from a services perspective, from a blades perspective, this is a really strong quarter for us. And I don't think, Ben, I would extrapolate it to necessarily that we're seeing any change in market dynamics as much as what we're seeing is the fact that we think we're, we're executing uh, within the hand that we've got available to execute with. So, you know, I, I think that's what we talk about in the U.S. I mean, there are people, as I mentioned in my opening comments, uh, a lot of pressure on CIOs that are dealing with a lot of infrastructure that has to be changed out if they modernize their, their, their business and they've got to make changes, and we think we've got a very attractive portfolio for them. Now, to your point on currency, it's important to remember in currency. Currency is a very mixed bag. You know, inside currency, you've got multiple dynamics. You've got deferred revenue that, that comes off uh, as part of it that actually is a good guy for us because you book deferred revenue at the rate that when you get it and your costs go down as as the, the euro goes down or any other currency you want to insert here. You've got product stuff, and I think we've talked about this before, that moves through the channel or moves through the distribution process at light speed that you never really get any margin sticking to your fingers out of that. And then you get backlog that does get affected, and then obviously we have Kathy and the, and the Treasury groups got hedging strategies that are used as well. So you have to – I don't mean to go into too much detail, but there's a lot of stuff you got to bring together to do it. And I think to Kathy's point, we are very uh, – we are very – confident in our EPS range that we gave today. So, and net-net, the U.S. Should, could continue the trends that you're seeing to, to get you there? We like to think so. I mean, we think that we're doing we think we're doing well um, in, in the market today, and we think that, you know, it helps, Ben, for us, the fact that we've got a very diverse portfolio, and it's diverse by market, it's diverse by segment, and it's diverse by product line. And, and the mix of those things helps us tremendously in terms of how we decide to invest our money in a quarter in what market and what segment. You know, one of the blessings, I think, for us, it could be a curse, if, depending on how you, you view it, is that everybody wants to look at every single segment, every single quarter for their optimal performance. And the reality is we do, at times, turn this up higher and turn this one down lower because of what we see in the market. And the result gives us an opportunity to, we think, uh, have a pretty strong integrated story overall. So, Ben, one more time, I think you ask a simple question. I think we, we like the position we're in, and we think we're going to be able to execute with the range we gave you. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Shannon Cross with Cross Research. Please proceed. Um, hi, good afternoon. Yes, just a question, Mark. If you can talk a little bit about how you're thinking about going after certain market segments and geographies within different products. You know, how aggressive are you thinking about being with price? I know we've seen some of your competitors be pretty aggressive. And then also how you sort of think about the trade-off of margin, you know, given a relatively weak end market. Thanks. Oh, Shannon, I mean, it's a broad question, right, to keep us, you know, on the line for a while. Um, I think, you know, we try to take advantage of things that make sense. So, I mean, it would not be normal behavior for us to chase share for the sake of just simply chasing share. Um, it's, it's just not how we, we, we choose to go. That said, we try to look at things that have long-term benefits for HP, long-term benefits for our shareholders, and if in the context of that view, 
taking share is important, then we will be more aggressive. So, for example, let's take IPG. When we see very low-end units that we believe have very low long-term connect rates of supplies, and we see an ultra-aggressive pricing environment, we may choose for a period of time not to compete and reinvest those dollars in some other part of the market, either, Shannon, in IPG or some other place in the company. So I bring that up to you as the sense that we try to optimize our portfolio. And back to Ben's question, the breadth of that portfolio and the number of markets we can compete in gives us a lot of options. So that's how we try to think about it. We try to do it in the best way we can. I'll give you an example to the other side. We see a continual trend in the move towards wireless printers. Wire, you know, you look at a home today, instead of having a printer wired to every desktop PC, you now see many families integrating into one printer or two printers that are networked around the home. We had over 150% growth in our wireless printer category this quarter. In addition, we have a very strong market position in wireless printers and a very strong product lineup. And because of the configurations, of those printers being more robust because they're replacing more printers, they have a very high connect rate. Therefore, we would be quite aggressive in pursuing that market segment in a way that we think makes sense. That we would differentiate from a very, very low-end laser with a very low-end connect rate in a single-function world that probably wouldn't bring us much long-term value. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Shannon. Our next question comes from the line of Tony's with Stanford Bernstein. Please proceed. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, Kathy, I, I just wanted to follow up on your comment that your guidance for next quarter was based on currency rates uh, as of the beginning of August. Um, the dollar is appreciated 5.6% from August 1st to August 15th uh, versus the euro. And so I guess the question is, wh why wouldn't you provide revenue guidance based on spot rates as of yesterday, for example, and given current spot rates, are you still confident you can do 30.2 to 30.3 billion in revenue uh, pre-EDS in Q4? So, Tony, if uh, we, what I said in my comments, and I'll stick with them, and that's that if the currency or the dollar remains where it is today, there will be downward pressure on our revenue, but that we will be able to come in in our EPS range. Um, so, growing EPS you know, 17 to 20 percent, if you look at that range. And the, and the reason to not, we would have to be updating our forecast or our guidance, you know, basically daily, depending on what the spot rate is. So we have a normal process in which we look at the um, rates at the beginning of the month in which we're going to announce our earnings, and that is the rate we use to drive our guidance. And I think you saw, we had, we had a similar type of issue, although it was on a weaker dollar as opposed to a stronger dollar. I believe it was in Q1 where well, we went through the same thing. It's just too hard to call what the, the currency rate's going to actually be in the quarter. So what we prefer to do is let you know what our assumptions are, let you know what our tailwinds and headwinds are, so that you can then make your own assessment of what the currency's going to do. Tony, one more thing, Mark. Um, you would not, the spot rate, the way you described it, and I understand the question, would not in and of itself give you that answer either, because you have to look at the factors I described to, in a question earlier. So you've got a, a set of deferred revenues that we have to bake, bake into the model. We have a set of hedges to bake in the model. So our process is to roll up 
what we do in our normal our normal flow. Our all of our mechanics are are geared that way, and so that's why we have to do that one time the way we do it because. To Kathy's point, we wouldn't just be updating our forecast every day for the spot rate. We'd have to update our forecast every day for all of those factors. Now, that said, um, you know, the EPS range we gave you is sort of a currency agnostic um, EPS range, and, you know, currency will move around as it does, and we'll see what happens. Thank you. Thanks, Tony. Our next question comes from the line of David Bailey with Goldman Sachs. Please proceed. Great. Thank you very much. Um, your sequential revenue growth at the midpoint of your October quarter target range, though higher than where the street is right now, is still below your normal quarter-over-quarter growth for Q4. Are there any particular geographies or product areas that are, are driving that? Well, I, wouldn't, I don't think we'd call up anything specific other than the fact that there's still a lot of economic uncertainty out there. Now, we executed much better in Q3, but the macro demand environment didn't change um, that dramatically. So there's still, from our perspective, a lot of uncertainty. You know us. We like to we like to plan um, our revenue and then drive our cost structure off of that. So we tend to be conservative. If in fact uh, you know revenue is better than that, then you see some upside. Um, otherwise, uh, you know we'd stick with the fact that uh, we've got a good forecast out there of 30.2 to 30.3 billion in uh, U.S. dollars. Yeah, I think David, it's. You know, we've also been getting a bit more linear as as we've gone through time as well. So when you look at the historical uh, trends, um, I agree with what you say. But if you look at the trends over time, over a period of years, you will see that linearity has been working in our favor. So that's 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 another dimension. And in, in to Kathy's point, we, we try to be prudent. You know, uh, Tony brought up one issue, right? Um, and there are other issues. And we think when you net all those issues together. This is the right range for us to, 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 to be in from a revenue perspective. And as always, David, as you know, we'll see how the quarter unfolds and see what, what happens out there. Um, I would just reiterate one more time. We're pretty confident in our position out in the market, point one. Point two, with the cost initiatives we have in the company and the other activities we have ongoing, we're quite confident about our ability to achieve our EPS range that we've given. Great. Thank you. Thanks, David. Our next question comes from the line of Jeff Fidocaro with Merrill Lynch. Please proceed. Hi, good afternoon. Mark, just wonder if you could touch on the, the strength in the services side. We saw outsourcing up 18%, tech support up 13%. Sort of what trends are you seeing and, you know, how does this compare to EDS's business? And, and secondly, how do you leverage EDS's, let's say, footprint and client accounts to continue to benefit from the strengths today? So, Jeff, I, I think it's a big opportunity. Obviously, you've seen strength in services. Services many times is countercyclical in an economic environment where uh, as economies uh, go through some tougher times, there is more opportunity for services companies, particularly on the uh, outtasking or outsourcing of a, of, of, of a piece of business, and I think we've been able to benefit uh, from a part of that. Additionally, just as a uh, uh, a footnote, EDS's revenue you saw during the quarter strengthened to, to 3% growth for them, which was, over a period of time, a uh, better performance than we've seen, and certainly what we saw as we went through our, our due diligence with them. So the market is attractive um, for services companies and services play. Um, in addition, I think to your, to your question, we have to be able to give EDS innovation and capability that can broaden their ability to go to the marketplace and compete. 
So we're going to be very focused on trying to do things that help them automate processes, that help them operate with a lower cost structure so they can be yet more competitive in the marketplace. And that's work that we're doing a lot of detailed planning on right now that you're going to get details on September 15th. But make no mistake about it, we are very, we are going to execute on the EDS acquisition and we are going to bring the strength of HP's operating discipline, the strength of HP's innovation, the strength of HP's position in the marketplace to, uh, to make a combined business that we think will be, uh, be quite competitive. And I'd just like to add, um, on the technology services side where, uh, the business had, uh, really strong growth and that's really related to our attach rates whether that's care pack attach or networking or managed print services. So that piece of the business is performing very well. Um, and that's obviously contributing to the HP services growth, as, as is consulting and integration and outsourced services. Our next question comes from the line of Brian Alexander with Raymond James. Please proceed. Uh, thanks. Hope I'm not beating a dead horse here, but but given the currency's gotten so much attention from investors in the press, uh, market cap, could you just clarify beyond the obvious revenue translation impact associated with currency movements? Can you indicate whether operationally the weaker dollar has had any noticeable impact on your margins or your EPS growth over the last several quarters? I.e., what segments might have benefited from the weaker currency? And going forward, if the dollar continues to strengthen, how concerned are you, if at all, that this will impact your ability to achieve? your segment margin targets for FY09. Thanks. So there's there's no question that at, at the margin, a weaker dollar has um, some positive impact at the total company level. It is different. Frankly, it is different by segment. Um, so if you look at uh, services as an example, we will benefit um, at some in some way um, from a stronger dollar in services because of how we bring on deferred revenue. If you look at PSG as an example, the currency probably didn't help much at all because that gets factored into the price almost instantaneously, certainly within a quarter. Um, and if you look at BCS, our business critical service, on the opposite end, that probably takes longer to get the currency factored into it. And you've really got to look at kind of all of these and, and, and what the bottom line, line impact is. There will be some impact um, from a stronger dollar. But as you can see for our guidance for Q4, it's, it's not enough to uh, really be noticeable. We're still looking at delivering 17 to 20% EPS um, growth in Q4, even if the dollar were to stay at levels today, that they are there today. Uh, you know, Brian, that's a pretty darn good explanation of what, what, what happens. It's, it's, um, it, it's, it's sort of a mix. And to Kathy's point, services actually gets better because the deferred revenue gets booked at the higher rate and the delivery is done on the lower rate. Product businesses, generally speaking, that have quick cycles flow through and when you're competing in a global market, the currency gets factored into the model relatively quickly. So it's, it's why we've tried to say before, you can go knock yourself out with a whole bunch of year-over-year -year currency assumptions and they're not going to fundamentally affect the model. To Kathy's point, they operate around the margin. 
So how fast does it get? Does it get through in a week? Does it get through in a month? Does it get through in five weeks? Those are the things that would affect you in a fast-moving product business. So, for example, uh, just to give you color, if you're PSG and you're competing with a local German competitor or a local Brazilian competitor, you don't keep currency in your fingers. You pass that right through so that you can be competitive in that local market and you're competing on a local basis. Same thing happens in ISS, et cetera, et cetera. So, it's, it is a mixed bag to the point of Kathy's point. When you get to a backlog business like a BCS where we'd actually hold some backlog as we're building, that's going to have, uh, that's going to have a negative impact. So, and then you've got to pull it all because we do some hedging as we, as you know, at the company level. So it's a mixed bag, but I would tell you that we feel really good about the strength of our operating model regardless of, of what happens in currency. So, um, you know, that would be our view. Just one quick follow-up, Kathy, on the payables. It's been a pretty big contributor to your op cash flow the last two quarters. Should we expect that to come back down or stabilize at these levels? Um, so I think there'll be, you know, quarter to quarter things, it bounces around a bit. Um, we have made some structural changes to how we approach payables that will be permanent. Um, and this is really focusing on getting operationally excellent um, whether that's in inventory or in payables, so that we have the opportunity to make the trade-offs between the balance sheet and the income statement without a deterioration in, in metrics. So there's a piece of that, and I'd say it's, you know, it's a little less than half of the impact um, was due to uh, improvements that we've made in the DPO. The rest, a lot of the rest of it is in, due to linearity in the quarter and where purchases take place. Great. And that, of course, will, uh, will be more transient. Thanks very much. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Keith Botchman with Bank of America, excuse me, with Bank of Montreal. Please proceed. Yeah, thank you. Um, Mark, I had a, a trend line question, if I could. Sure. Um, I wanted to get your feedback or thoughts on trend lines, and that is to say industry standard ser servers had modest revenue growth, even with a fairly phenomenal blades growth. Is this, and many other companies, IBM had, frankly, weak x86 too, is this the right trend line that, you think your HP is going to experience over the next couple of quarters. And similarly, you mentioned that you're being price point specific or economic specific on your printer units. Uh, how should we think about the printer unit placements over the next couple of quarters as well? Thanks. Okay. I, I, um, Keith, I, I didn't get all of it. Uh, you, you were sort of faint. I, I think you were asking about the trend lines in the server business. Yeah, trend lines in the industry standard servers. Is this the right trend line, even with good blades growth? Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll have to see. Um, you know, we'll have to see. I mean, you know, obviously we feel um, very good about our market position. Unit growth was uh, was 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 good in the quarter, so we felt good about that. We saw ASP erosion in the quarter um, uh, at the same time, so we feel very good about the blades position. Obviously, you can see the numbers. They're just, uh, and that business is now a a, a big business. You are seeing movements to, uh, in many cases, integrated 1Ps uh, forming into sort of an aggregated system for many customers as they do scale-outs and build-outs of, of, of data center capabilities. So, you know, we think there is a robust market in data center transformation activities, and you're going to see that continue to, 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 to go on. And so for us, I think the trend lines you're seeing seem sort of roughly right um, from from where we are, we're not banking on um, anything dramatically different as part of the guidance we're giving you. So, you know, we feel very good about our chance to compete, and that's what we'll do, uh, and we'll compete tough. 
And Mark, in case you didn't hear the second part of the question, what are your thoughts on printer unit placements over the next couple of quarters? You know, again, so let me give an example, Keith. I think, as I mentioned in wireless, places that we feel, you know, very strongly about the connect rate will be, will be tough. Um, will be, will be, um, uh, opportunistic as it relates to places that don't have strong connect rates. And I think in the printer market, it is a very diversified market. You know, you, for us, you go into the graphics world that has, you know, graphics, uh, you know, Cytex, uh, Indigo, yep. et cetera. They use liters of ink. So you can imagine that we will be very aggressive in the graphics market. You can imagine us to be aggressive on the high end and in many of the high end areas that we think make sense that have long-term placement value and install base stays installed a long time, et cetera. Where you get to some of these units that are, you know, very, very low end, you know, we'll, we'll pick our spots, um, and, and, and we'll try to be, uh, prudent, uh, as we go. So I think, Keith, that's the best way to, to think about it. You know, we're obviously in a position because of our cost structure improvements that we've made that, you know, we've got a little bit more flexibility than we've had in the past. And it, listen, Keith, it's taken us, it's taken us work to get to in a position where we have that. And, uh, we'll try to make prudent decisions, uh, to be able to optimize shareholder value. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Keith. Our next question comes from the line of Bill Fernley with FTN Midwest. Please proceed. Yeah, good afternoon, Mark. Um, how should we be thinking about unit and revenue growth here in PSG? You, you folks have made the comment before that the comps get harder because of the strong growth in prior quarters, but in the face of increasing competition in the bar and retail channels by Dell, how do you see your PC uh, competitive position here and any concern here about street pricing here for the rest of the year? And then I have a quick follow-up. Quick follow-up, huh? Um, Bill, I'd say, listen, I think that, again, for, for us, you know, 15% year-on-year growth, uh, and, and remember, this is coming against a Q3 last year uh, that was an extremely tough comparison. So you had 29% growth uh, last year. This year is 15% growth that it's being compared against. It's, it's gonna be, uh, the 15 is being compared against the 29. So, again, you got to go, when people talk about, deceleration in, in, in PSG, if, if they do, boy, um, you know, those two, those two numbers added together are 44. So that, that's a big, big number. So we think we're competing quite well. We've launched, as Kathy mentioned, uh, a, a lineup of, of, of products that we've announced that we are very excited about. In fact, we announced, uh, two or three more products yet today in the, uh, in the low end or the ultra light part of our line. So you know, we feel like we're doing a pretty good job from an innovation perspective, delivering products, covering the low end, um, introducing products more on the high end of our range. Uh, we feel good about the operating cadence of that group. They've done a nice job from an asset perspective, and we feel like they're pretty well positioned. And then on, uh, to shift gears to IPG, if I could, in the last call you mentioned the shift away from laser. Does that imply that you're trying to put more focus on the graphics segment? Um, versus some of the more traditional printer businesses. I mean, you talked about leaders of ink before. And in light of the strong supplies performance and the restructuring in IPG then, should we be thinking about closer to 15% operating margins, or is there near-term upside to those margins, um, given the fact that you're doing well in graphics and you have the restructuring benefits? Uh, so, Bill, I understand the question. I think that, um, yeah, I mean, clearly um, we know the business can, how the business can perform. Um, you know, I think what we want to do is grow in the graphics segment. We think it's a very strategic segment, but I wouldn't think of it as us stopping doing this to be able to do that. 
we think we can grow in graphics and invest in the growth in graphics. At the same time, we can optimize the position in our, I'll call it the, our traditional business for the sake of, of, of this discussion. So we, we do have some capital decisions that we can, we can shift, but we feel pretty good about our position right now. And as IPG continues to improve its cost structure, uh, we think it's got an opportunity now to, to, to be appropriately uh, aggressive in the marketplace and the segments that it makes sense. If we go back to the security analyst meeting in December, the guidance that we have out there for FY09 for IPG op profit is 14.5 to 15.5. And, um, and so we're, you know, you can see where we are relative to that. And you've exceeded it a number of times, too. That's what I was trying to get to. Yep. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Maynard Um with UBS. Please proceed. Hi, thanks. Can you just give us a sense of how much cash you have that's onshore versus offshore? It sounds like you have enough onshore to do a share repurchase, but does that imply you can actually use the offshore cash for the EDS deal, or should we anticipate a pretty big um, um, a debt issuance coming up? So we will be issuing uh, debt for EDS. The vast majority of the EDS purchase will be done through debt, so, and that's because um, most of our cash is offshore. The cash we – the – um, share repurchase is typically done from operating cash from the U.S. as well as debt. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's uh, you, you know, when you get into our balance sheet and our cash, gross cash and net cash, you've got to look at our financing business, uh, as we, we talked about at the last security analyst meeting, uh, and then look at the industrial company of HP and its cash position. And, and you know, you're right. We have a, a, a very strong gross cash position in the industrial company that could do much of the financing, but a lot of it has to do with the position or the placement of the cash from a location perspective. So, um, but we're, we're, we can do what we need to do as it relates to being able to, uh, to buy back stock, if, if, if that was the, the, the crux of your question. Okay. And Mark, if I could follow up just on your comment about the low-end market in, in the PSG, do you expect, how should we think about that in terms of, of cannibalizing the high-end particularly in this kind of economic environment as we move through the rest of the year. Thanks. So I'll, I'll speak specifically about the more ultra-light PCs. We have actually not seen cannibalization. We've actually seen sort of a new uh, market segment evolve out of that, which which is, is pretty pretty exciting. Um, so we've seen a lot of people that have this is a second or a third PC. Uh, we've seen them going to demographics of people that traditionally haven't had a PC and now have something smaller that they can carry with them. So um, that part that part uh, looks pretty positive to us based on the, the data that we've seen so far. Okay, why don't we take uh, two more questions, please? Our next question comes from the line of Louise Miskosia with Cohen and Company. Please proceed. Yeah, you can just call me Lou if you'd like. Ah, Louise was a that was a surprise, Lou. <laughs> <laughs> For me too. So my question goes back to the uh, server side. Uh, realize blades were strong, but when you think about a virtualized, consolidated data center and cloud computing, you'd think there would be a ton of demand for industry standard servers. So I guess my question is, you know, why are we not seeing a lot more growth there? Is this as good as it gets, or is it just so early on those things that the growth is still a, a few quarters out? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. First of all, 13% unit growth um, in in the quarter is a, is a is a is a decent number. But I, I, Lou, I think your point is a good one, right? You've got, you know, a 60. So let me try to give you context. You've got a 60 60 billion dollar server market. Uh, that server market is made up of a lot of different types of products, whether those are SMP machines, mainframes, 
industry standard stuff, blades, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it is, it is, in our view, a market that is going to continue to consolidate around the industry standard platform. So we look at it as a, a significant opportunity that when you look at how processing is done, it's going to drive down into the core market. And we look at the integration of our PC supply chain and our industry standard server supply chain, whether it's from a PC up through a blade, as a tremendous competitive advantage for us and a tremendous competitive opportunity for us to bring to the market. Uh, I think you're going to see much of the same thing happen in storage that you're seeing in industry standard servers, a separate marketplace that's going through a lot of work on virtualization, a lot of low, what you would think of traditionally, Lou, as low-end storage being cobbled together into a very mission-critical enterprise storage system, and many of these things being integrated as almost hybrids, that when you look at the data center build-outs and you look at it and you say, is that a server or is that storage? And in some cases, it's hard to tell because the interplay is so is so tightly knit together and connected. So we think it's a big opportunity. Uh, I think to your point, you're going to see more opportunity in, in, in the future, and we feel well-positioned to be part of it. Okay, the quick follow-up. A uh, third of your business is obviously on the consumer area, and are you getting any signs yet on uh, back-to-school, uh, obviously here in the U.S. and over in Europe, and even a comment on international, if you could? Uh, nothing, nothing to report on that as 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 part of uh, as part of this quarter. Um, we did see renewed renewed strength in consumer PCs, uh, you know, in the U.S. Uh, uh, during the uh, during the quarter. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, let's take uh, one more question, please. Our final question comes from the line of Jason Nolan with Robert W. Baird. Please proceed. Yes, thank you. Thanks for fitting me in, um, Mark. You described cost reductions as substantial and ongoing again and named um, the same three segments, real estate, IT, and shared corporate services. I guess, you know, generally you would think it would get harder to cut costs, but it seems like uh, your cost-cutting activities are ramping. I guess the question is how were you able to do that? Well, listen, I mean, I'm a big believer you zero-based budget everything. You turn over a rock, you typically find another rock. And, and you know, many of the things we're doing just had to, I say this the right way, uh, just needed to be worked. And so that's sort of point one. Second, in many cases, when you do sustainable cost reduction, you have to invest into that reduction. So the thought that you just come in and say, okay, we used to do that, now we're going to do that. In most cases, you have to change the way you work. You have to change the process by which it's being executed, which is frankly what we've been doing. I mean, you know, take I could give you many, many examples where instead of doing something 20 times, we now do it once. Uh, instead of having the, uh, 14 things to do something, we now have one. And for us, uh, you know, globalizing things the best we can and doing things one time bring tremendous cost savings to us and, and, and big process efficiency to us. So, and, and don't get me wrong in, in the fact that those are the only areas in the company going through cost reduction. We have significant opportunities going on in services. Services has done, I think, a, a, a nice job during this year and not all of which you've seen in its operating performance in terms of becoming more efficient. Um, and services businesses have significant opportunities in efficiency, and there are many different dimensions that drive that efficiency. IPG is working very hard to change its cost structure, and they are making some amount of progress. We've seen much of that in ESS. So our costs are overhead costs, business-owned costs, and our cost of goods sold and cost of service. And all of those different parts of cost have different initiatives underway to change the way we think about how we deploy our revenue minus profit, which 
equals our cost, which is now over a hundred billion worth of cost. So we think about that hundred billion worth of cost every single day and how we can make it as efficient as we can to give us the best opportunity to go in a marketplace and compete. And so there'll never be a day at HP at our scale where we're not trying to work hard to make our processes more efficient and get our cost structure right. And whether it's good news or bad news, the fact is it still isn't where we need it to be. And that's why we're working so hard to get it done. Just okay. to clarify, you're, you're, you're ramping into fiscal 09. That's HP standalone, not including EDS. EDS would be another story. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. Thank For you. another day. On another day. And so, listen, let me uh, uh, thank you all for participating. Listen, it was a good quarter for us. Uh, we really felt good about it, and uh, we felt like we had balanced growth. Uh, we've continued to execute expense discipline. We've been able to expand our margins. Um, our year-to-date cash flow from operations is now at $11.3 billion, which exceeds what we did in 08. Um, we are, and I'll say one more time, confident in our EPS expansion given our cost savings and our recurring revenues. And... Uh, I'm excited to see you all on September 15th at the uh, at the analyst event, and I'm going to turn it over to Jim just for a couple of closing comments. Just one more comment about the other story for the other day here. Uh, invitations will go out tomorrow to the September 15th analyst meeting. It'll be held in the uh, West Coast here, and we look forward to seeing you, hopefully as many as possible. Thank you. Thank you for your participation in today's conference. This concludes the presentation. You may now disconnect.